right, so this morning um, <laughs> on Independence Day, uh, going to preach maybe a little bit of a strange message, but I think it fits um, because the topic is actually seems to be to some extent uh, part of the center of the battle that we're having in our country, as I mentioned earlier, for the heart, uh, the soul of our country, if you will. Um, as we've been going through Genesis and uh, the, the point of Genesis, the kind of the, the, the perspective that I'm coming at it from is that the Genesis is our roots, that we need to understand uh, who God has created us to be, that we need to understand these beginning pieces because that helps us to set the table for how we live, why we live, you know, who God is, who we are, all these kind of things. And so uh, we spent a lot of time on the first three chapters, as you have noticed already, and that's great because there's so much in it, uh, so much where God is revealing to us who he is and so much where he's revealing his reasons for creating and, and creating just creation in itself, but also creating us as human beings. And, and that's where we've been focused the last couple of weeks is on the fact that he created us in his image and that he created us uh, you know, for relationship. Uh, but also today, where I want to go today is that God has also ordained a particular order of things. And so the, the topic that we are going to be kind of diving into this morning is, uh, is basically on the question of uh, sexuality. Uh, as you know, homosexuality has been around for some time, uh, all of time. The humanity's, humanity's been existed, it seems like, uh, and it's always there. But in our country, it's uh, taken on a kind of a new uh, flavor over the last especially 10 years. And uh, it has become a, a real battleground and in a sense, a moral battleground as well. As we try to figure out in America who we are and whether or not homosexuality is something that we accept and as normal or whether it is something that uh, is, goes against God's clear, ordained order of things. And, uh, and so this morning, I, I just want to, as we go through this, to, to recognize that although it's Independence Day and we're not specifically talking about independence, I think uh, some of the, the, the things that we're going to learn from this or we're going to hear from this, the word that I think Jesus has for us today is uh, actually relevant to how we are to continue to engage in our, in our country and how we can work for God's will to be done, not just in our own life and in our own church, but also in our community. And uh, the reality, of course, is we all know that the sexual revolution has really transformed things. And I think it began somewhere in the 60s or so. And, and so for 60 years now, we have been fighting this battle in a sense, but the sexual revolution has been sweeping across the country. And uh, the idea that sex should be free, that, that, that because it's a natural craving, it's something we should be able to do and do all the time and whenever we want, with whoever we want, and uh, it doesn't matter. And the sexual revolution has sought to redefine some things that in our country and certainly in Christianity has been clearly defined and understood for a long time. And we as a country all had a similar perspective on things like love. But the sexual revolution has sought to redefine love. Love is now something that's more of a romance kind of feel to it. That's something you can fall into or fall out of. It's something that's an emotion. It's about feelings and how I feel about things. And if I feel loved, then that means I'm getting loved. It doesn't matter if it actually, you know, love is not set. You know, it's, it's based on feelings and emotions. Love is about being quote unquote nice. 
Love is about happiness. When I'm happy, then that means I'm loved. And so they've redefined love, but they've also, of course, redefined marriage. I think it was 10 years ago when the Supreme Court finally ruled and said that, hey, you know, actually homosexual, homosexual marriage is something that should be accepted and allowed by all states. And so marriage has been re- redefined. And the argument is pretty clear, right? The idea is that, hey, you know, if two people love each other, why shouldn't they be able to get married? I mean, they, they love each other. This is what they, they're both consenting adults. They want to do this. And so they should be able to do this. We've also seen that the sexual revolution has uh, actually redefined identity. Now we have so many people in our country and in our world that are beginning to define their identity by their sexuality. And that uh, that's the first thing they, they, they come to, that they're trying to de- de- describe who they are. They're talking about whether they're bisexual or homosexual or are they gay or are they lesbian or they, whatever it is. And so identity has been redefined based instead of on uh, things that are set by God, they're based in eternal, internal cravings and internal feelings. This is the sexual revolution. This is our culture. This is reality for us right now in this day. And this is the struggle we're having. But Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, And this is what the sexual revolution and those in our culture who are humanistically seeing things through a humanistic point of view, they are forgetting or they're rejecting this reality that God created. Because the truth is, if we do believe that God did create, then that means he defines. He defines love. He defines marriage. He defines identity. For those who are Christians or those who profess to have some kind of faith, to expect or try to enforce their definition of love on God proves that they actually don't really believe in God. They don't at least believe in that first verse in the beginning, God. If God truly is in the beginning and he is the one who created all, then he again is the one who gets to define love. He's the one who gets to define marriage. He's the one who gets to define identity. And God does define those things. He defines love as being unselfish, sacrificial, unconditional, based in truth and good. That's how God defines love. God also defines marriage clearly. It's between a male and a female. Unity in diversity. And God also defines identity. Identity is based on the fact that we have been created in the image of God. In Genesis chapter two, we read earlier, but I'll read again to, in some sense, drive home the point. In verses 24 and 25, God clearly sets the order of things. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God created an order of things. We have to understand that God, when he created, he created perfectly. 
It wasn't, there was no mistakes, right, when he created. He created it exactly the way he wanted it. He created it good. He created it with love. He created it on purpose. All the things that we've kind of looked at the last couple of weeks in our identity and who we are, the fact that God has created us and he's created us on purpose with a purpose. And that purpose, of course, is to be an intimate love relationship with him, to serve others, to care for the world that he's given us. In the pre-fall state in Genesis 1 and 2, we can see how God created the perfection that he created. And in, ex- in essence, because those first two chapters are the created the way that we, he, he wanted it to create, we can look back on that now that we are post-fall and say, okay, this is the example. This is the way he meant it to be. It's not that way because of sin. We'll get there in a minute. But these are the things that he had designed it to be. These are the order of things. And so we see that marriage is meant to be between a male and female. But more than that, in Genesis 1, chapter, uh, in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 28, God, God, God says, excuse me, in verse, 20, yeah, verse 27, excuse me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. This is important, this male and female, he created them. This is why, as Christians, we believe that both genders are just as valuable. They both have been been made in God's image. Although we have different roles in our homes to play, we all have the same value. We have the same ability to connect to God. We have the same ability to be responsible for our own actions, to have free will and to make those choices and to suffer the consequences for those choices. It is male and female, both genders. God, see, here's the deal. If there were other genders, then those genders, by being eliminated, by not being mentioned in the beginning of things, they're outside now. Are we to, or do we expect that the third gender is not in God's image? Or are we to say, no, actually, there's two genders. Because that is the ordained order of things. Male and female, God created them. God has revealed the order of things through direct description and through creative design. But in regards to homosexuality, scripture continues to go on. And later on in Leviticus and in Romans and in 1 Timothy, at least those three passages, we see God's clear teaching that homosexuality is not part of his will that it is outside of his will, that it's an abomination according to Leviticus, that it is sinful, that it is something that those who follow God should not participate in. I want to read the Romans passage because it is a powerful passage, I think, in regards to the homosexual lifestyle and being clear that it is against God's perspective and God's will. In uh, Romans chapter 1, starting at actually in verse 21, I'll start there. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immoral God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Scripture clearly teaches that homosexuality is not within God's will. Now there's some, unfortunately, in the church who've sought to kind of massage these passages to try to say that they're just, they're not actually talking about consenting adults in a homosexual relationship. But we can see very clearly that even in this passage, and the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. They were choosing to be together. It was consenting adults who were together. So homosexuality is clearly taught in scripture that it's wrong. Now I want to, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into the theology of this. I just want to mention this and then we're going to move on. But I do want to give you a few books that speak to this. If you haven't had a chance to read, if you're a reader and you want to read, then I would encourage you to read maybe some of these books. First of all, Living in a Gray World by Preston Sprinkle a book where he deals with some of the theology, but also he deals with how do we as Christians now engage with those who are in this world? How do we love them and not just, you know, uh, be disgusted by them? How do, we, how do we love them? How do we interact with them? Not just in our world, but even those maybe that are in our church that are struggling with same-sex attraction. How do we love them? How do we help them to feel like they're part of us and that they're a part of our community and that, that, that you know, we, under, we want to journey with them in this? Washed and Waiting is another book title by West, uh, the book is written by Wesley Hill. And he is a, a, a man who has, who struggles with same-sex attraction, Christian man. And he just kind of shares a little bit about his realities and how he struggled with that, but comes at it, it just it's some really good stuff and really kind of firsthand accounts. And then also another, uh, I hate this title, but it, it is what it is. Gay Girl, Good God is the title by Jackie Hill Perry. 
And again, she's a gal that uh, uh, is, uh, was a lesbian, struggles with same-sex attraction, actually eventually came, came to Christ and then got married and actually has a, a daughter now. Um, anyway, another great story. She tells her story, but also a way to how do we interact? Again, how does Christians, how do we interact with those who are in, trapped in this lifestyle or struggling in this lifestyle? And so I would encourage you to read. I also will say this, uh, the elders uh, and staff uh, and uh, the executive committee board, we, we're going to be doing, uh, having a discussion and training actually on this in August. The hope for that training and, and, and discussion is that in the fall, uh, we want to do uh, uh, maybe a four to six week kind of class on, uh, on how do we as Christians interact in the, in, in with those that are in this homosexuality reality, homosexual reality. How do we interact with gay and lesbians in a way that is loving, but also continues to cling to the truth in the midst of that. And, and so we're hoping to offer that to the whole church in the fall, like say maybe four to six weeks, cover a bunch of different topics. You can ask questions, all that kind of stuff. So uh, just, we just think this is an important thing, um, an important for, thing for us to be aware of and to have the conversation so often, you know, the reason we don't know how to react is because we have never had the conversation. And so often churches have remained silent on these kind of topics. And that leaves not only their members, but also the children and the teenagers to be left with. Well, the church hasn't told us what we're supposed to believe or what the Bible teaches on this. So we don't know what to do. So we just accept what the world is telling us. And we can't do that. We need to have conversations. All right. Now, God has a created order of things. However, sin entered the world. In chapter three, we're going to spend more time on this uh, a later date. I think next week we're starting to get into this a little bit. But uh, sin happened, right? And sin infected all of creation. And it infected our relationships with God, with each other, and with creation, with nature. It infected our, our physical bodies. It infected our spiritual bodies. It infected our relational bodies, our emotional bodies. It infected everything. There is nothing in creation that has not been tainted by sin. None of us today, Adam and Eve, were created perfect. No one else has been born perfect. No one else has started perfect. We all are born with sinful nature. Uh, Psalm 51.5 talks about this reality that even from conception, we are sinful. And so many in the homosexuality world, those that are supportive of gays and lesbians and that not being a sin, even in the church, often point to say, or say something like this. Well, they were born that way or I was born this way. And so because I was born this way, that means that it's, you know, God made me this way. And if God made me this way, then that means that's okay. I'm okay. It should be a good thing. But that is, a, that's, that's, it's messed up thinking. It's illogical. It's wrong. God did not make you sinful. God certainly knit together, as Psalm 139 says, all of us together in our mother's womb. But he knit us together perfectly, but then sin came in and corrupted us. God gives us life, but sin corrupts that life. He allows sin to do that, but he did not create us that way. That means that if we have internal cravings, if we have certain tendencies, and we've always had them, that doesn't mean that God has given us those things. That means that sin has tainted us. What aligns with God's ordained order and will 
are what is good and what he has created. On the other side, this natural cravings and emotions, we must recognize they are corrupted. Again, all of us has been corrupted. Physically, we've been corrupted. Spiritually, I mean, I wish I was six foot one, but sin kept me this size, right? <laughs> it wouldn't miss the coffee too. So uh, all of us in our physical bodies, but our emotions and our cravings, uh, sometimes again, from those that are trying to support the idea that homosexuality is not a sin, they say that, you know, these are natural cravings and natural cravings must be good because they're just natural. I was five years old and then all of a sudden I just, I had this attraction for those who are the same sex and, and I, you know, it's just always been with me. This again, we need to recognize that our natural cravings are corrupted by sin as well. And the interesting thing too is often those who are in support of homosexuality not being a sin and being accepted by God and saying that natural cravings are good, especially our culture right now, natural cravings are good, whatever is natural, you should just do those things. Yet at the same time, those who naturally crave rape are not accepted. They're not encouraged to continue to act on that. Those who naturally are adulterers aren't encouraged to be an adulterer. Those who are naturally racist are not encouraged to continue to be racist. And so we see in our culture this, you know, this you know, dichotomy that's happening here, right? this, this separation, this like logically not thinking through. If our cravings are good, that means all the evil things that we crave, we should be able to do because they're just natural cravings. And it's the reality of sinful nature. We all have those sinful cravings, sinful natural cravings. But God says no. Our cravings, when they align with God's ordained order and will, then they are good. And this is the hope of every Christian, that God will come in and transform us. That he will transform our cravings. That he will heal our bodies that he will bring about a completion of the Genesis 2 perspective of the garden, that someday we'll get back to that perfection. But we're not in it today. What I think is amazing and is unfortunately so politically incorrect is that the sexual revolution has left a trail of wounds and pain and destruction. Sex trafficking, the reason that it's rampant in America as well as the rest of the world is because of the sexual revolution. Pornography, you know, no one wants to talk about that, billions. Every year they're making in pornography. Young men, old men, all men, everywhere, tempted. It, it, but even now today, and, and, and very, just it's amazing. I can't believe what's going on in our schools and, and in our medical field. We have children who are having typical childhood confusion. And it's becoming a lifetime just kind of thing they have to deal with now. It, it's, it's being made perfect, per permanent. 
The, the, the five, six-year-olds, it's having some confusion, trying to figure out what this whole world's about. We're just going to say, oh, well, you're feeling like you're a boy or you're feeling like a girl, even though biologically the opposite. Oh, that's okay. We're going to, no, that's a good thing. We're going to encourage that. Matter of fact, we're going to give you medica- medication so that you won't be the gender that you were born, that you can fight that off. Our children are being abused by this. And we have young people that are growing up and they begin to have some kind of sense that maybe they, 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 they had an attraction to the same sex. And, and again, it's celebrated, it's promoted, it's pushed into them. And so they think, oh, this must be the right way. And where for centuries, that was not the case because you'd have those feelings because maybe we've all had those feelings at some point. But we go, oh no. And then later on you realize, no, it's a, no I, I'm, not, I'm not attracted to the same sex. I mean, 60 Minutes came out with a tremendous documentary the other day a couple months ago talking about transgender and all of these young people who had gone through medical trans transformations after just saying you know I kind of feel in this way and the doctor's like okay great let's do it we should get a surgery right now and actually pushed them into surgery had the surgery and then six months after they got the surgery they're like what happened and they are trying to somehow get back to their biological gender There is wounding and there's hurting all over our world because of the sexual revolution and what it's led to. There are people that are hurting, they're confused. No one wants to talk about it. Again, it's not politically correct to say that, but it is a reality. Even those that look like oftentimes, now I'm not saying to everyone, but even those that look on the outside like they're comfortable in their own skin and what they've chosen, I'm sure in their bedrooms at night are wrestling because they just know instinctually that there's just something not right. So church, we need to respond. I just think if Jesus was here He'd be, he'd be interacting with these people. He'd be going after them especially. And I, and I think Jesus, like he did with the Pharisees, I think he'd be really going off on some Christians. I think he'd be turning some tables on those that have capitulated on the truth of God's, clear truth of God's word, saying, why are you deceiving my children? We must, first of all, love. And accept those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And we cannot think that it's us against them. There's likely some in our church that are wrestling with this. And we don't know it. We cannot think that it's something that's outside of our walls. We can't just think that it's the media hype or the politicians that are trying to shove this stuff down our throats. We have to recognize this is real people that are struggling with real live life issues. 
We cannot be just known for the truth. And standing on that, we have to love people, accept them in their struggle. The sin that they are struggling with is no different than our own sin. That's one of the things that so often we on the traditional Christian, conservative Christian side forget. We want to grab these passages about uh, homosexuality being an abomination and throw it into the faces of those who are wrestling with this or who have come out and are living this way. Instead of recognizing those verses that we're throwing out have a list of other sins that are also in there. Romans passage that I read. It wasn't just homosexuality that he was talking about what they had been doing. It was so much more. Homosexuality is just one of the many sins that we can fall into. And we as Christians need to recognize, even though this is the battleground that we're seeing so publicly right now and is being pushed by the media, we need to recognize that it is no greater a sin than my lying. We have to recognize that we all struggle with sin. Second, we must not separate ourselves. Luke 5, 30 to 32, Jesus, I love this passage. Jesus comes and he's like, why are you, the Pharisees are like, why are you hanging out with sinners? And he says, because it is the ones who are sick who need a doctor. This is why I think Jesus, if he was here today, he'd be interacting with those in the gay and lesbian lifestyle, those who are struggling in the transgender lifestyle. Why? Because they are sick and need a doctor. We must not separate ourselves. Our culture, our media, our politicians are trying to scare us to be quiet. They don't want us to say we love you. They don't want us to engage in real relationship. They want those who are in the homosexual lifestyle to think that the church hates them and totally rejects them and doesn't think they're valuable. And we as a church have been scared into silence and we don't know what to do. And so we see someone in that lifestyle and our tendency is to turn the other way. No, we need to turn towards them. They need Jesus. They need to be loved. And the only place they're going to find true love is in the church. Also understand that the majority that I, I, I really believe, the majority, and as I've read different books on this, I believe the majority of those who are in a gay or lesbian lifestyle, they're not activists. They're struggling with this. And so we got to love them instead of judging them and condemning them. Next, we must not capitulate on God's clearly revealed word. We can't let go of the truth. It's the truth that homosexuality is a sin. It's not accepted. It's not part of his ordained order of things in Genesis. And then we see several passages throughout scripture condemning it every time. But we don't lead with that truth in our engagements with those who are in that lifestyle. Truth is not a weapon to destroy. It's a mirror to reveal. 
And I don't know about you, but when I stand in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror, there's a lot of times I need Debbie to come over and kind of like, oh, help me, baby. Is that really what it look like? Oh, my God. We need others to help us when we're looking in the mirror and our sin is revealed. We need someone to come alongside us. All right, I got one more, but worship team, why don't you come up? Prepare for a couple closing songs here. We also must not give in. We must not give in to our own sinful cravings. I, I just think when we begin to talk about a specific sin like this, that it should prompt all of us to stand in front of the mirror. Lying, stealing, greed. We live in America. I think maybe some of us struggle with greed, drunkenness. We live in California. I think some of us struggle with drunkenness. <laughs> Gossip. Being deceptive. Premarital sex. Just the regular, you know, heterosexual premarital sex. Adultery. Or homosexuality. May we not give in to our cravings. Before we step out into the world and try to help someone else with their sin, we better make sure we've repented of our own sin first. So this morning, I, I kind of want to close with this in a sense that that we would allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal the wicked ways within us. And that we would take some time this morning as we sing a couple of songs here to confess, repent of those sins. We need to get out there. We need to be loving those who are stuck in these lifestyles that the world is saying, yeah, yeah, it's great, do it, and you should, you should be a part of this, this is so fun. We need to be out there telling them the truth, but we got to make sure we're right first too. Again, it's just one of many sins. This one's the one that's kind of been the focal point recently. But let's make sure we're right because that will give us the humility we need when we come alongside someone else who's struggling with their sin to say, hey, I know what it's like to be struggling with sin. I've been there. Matter of fact, I'm still struggling. Let's help each other. Heavenly Father, again, we, we thank you for this country we live in. We thank you for the freedoms that we have as a result. But Lord, as you know, uh, we are in a battleground. A battle for the soul of this nation, a battle for the morals of this nation and what that's going to look like and what that'll be. But with all of that, you know, the thing about all that stuff in the public and on the media and social media and 
stuff being said over and over again by politicians and the battles and the, the laws that are passed, I mean, that, that really is also secondary. Because really this is a battle that is waged in each individual heart. And God, I just pray that you would help us as a church to be people that care about people. That, that we're not concerned so much there's a place for politics. There's a place for being involved in government processes and laws and those kind of things. But that's not when we're sitting across from someone having a conversation. We would truly love people. Recognizing that, you know, we're no better than them. That we have sins we struggle with as well. Lord, I pray that you would remove the fear that we have within us of engaging with someone who's gay or lesbian or transgender. Give us the courage to step out and, and even be clumsy in it if we need to be, but at least step out and say something, to engage in relationship with them instead of running from it and hiding from it. But giving us a passion and a heart for those people, for our people, ones that are within us, Again, it's not us and them. They're here. This is something we struggle with within our church as well. We need to recognize that and be open to having the conversation. Lord, the battle for this country is going to be won one heart at a time. So help us to keep that as our focus. To be humble and to love well. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Our God is a great Redeemer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks, church. Have a great Sunday.